0: What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And, you know, it's just it's an interesting season. You look around and you're seeing um, you're seeing these tech brands and really like the working corporate elite push back. They're pushing back against a lot of the narratives and notions that were shared just a couple of years ago around more effective balance between work and life Uh, livable wages benefits that make sense for people with families and who don't have families uh, common dignity and other just modicums of respect at work you're seeing them push back against this with these layoffs that don't really make any sense you see them push back against this uh, with their constant desire to erode an already fairly hollow position, which is corporate diversity and inclusion, and you see them push back against uh, against the, the the worker by really attacking the most marginalized worker, which are black and brown people. Now we're not going to see any data, hard data on this right now, but I wager if you were to do Some sort of poll or analysis on the demographic of people laid off during these latest rounds of layoffs from Amazon to Spotify to Meta to SurveyMonkey to Google that you would see a trend and a pattern that the people mostly laid off are non-white men. It's important in these seasons that we remember the goal should be the goal for me, the goal for Living Corporate and the goal for the people that I try to welcome on Living Corporate's network in Living Corporate's network either as guests or as contributors. We're seeking to Change the system. We're looking to reimagine and recreate something. We're not looking to change our position in something. It kind of reminds me when I was in middle school. I remember the line at the cafeteria being so long. It was just one line. It was so long because my, you know, we, we, we broke my lunch and lunch periods. And I recall that If you were a favorite of the line monitor, who was this woman who was a volunteer at the school, then you could get to the front. And if you were hurt, you were injured in some way, you could get to the front. But it wasn't that rule. Even that injury rule wasn't really applied the same to everybody. But I remember once I got cool one day with this parent's kid and I happened to get hurt cause I was playing football, I was able to jump in front of the line. And I jumped in front of the line. I remember looking back and seeing all these other kids, some of them who were also hurt, but weren't next to me. And I didn't care because I was first, I was higher in the line. I was able to get my food, sit down and I'm going to tell y'all something there's nothing really redeemable about selfishness like that it's not and I know like we live in this world where we're taught to be selfish we're taught to look out for your, you're taught to whatever you need to do if, even if that means stepping on somebody else and get what you get yours like we're taught that we're, we're, we're encouraged to move and behave and think that way but that's that's a destructive level of thinking in a society. In a society. We all depend on each other. And the reality is a lot of us chase this carrot of potentially one day, perhaps maybe being a part of that ruling class. So we're willing to swallow and take whatever we need to take because our lottery ticket is right here it just hasn't been called yet and I'm going to tell you the goal the goal for us for here when I say us living corporate and frankly for any corp, any leader who considers themselves passionate about workplace fairness equity whatever term you want to use they have to have a mind towards shifting and changing the systems and not just rearranging the seats or line positions in the system. Look, with that being said, I'm really excited about, you know, the conversation you're going to hear today. Um, I've been wanting to talk to this person now for some years and I appreciate their time. Um, John Graham Jr. You know, a lot of things, right? Speaker, coach, executive consultant, uh, writer, like he's just, he's brilliant. And we have a really frank conversation just about this state that we're in, this corporate context that we're in right now and the confluence of um, economic, quote unquote, concerns and and anxieties to historical patterns. We have this not our first time being here to what really should be looking forward to. Like what's next? And I'm honored that John was able to take the time to be on Living Corporate. I hope that y'all enjoy the conversation and I look forward to talking to you in a minute after we come back from the interview. Okay. See you soon. Living Corporate is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's incredible. Okay. So first off, you didn't know Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They have fast language acquisition, meaning you're actually going to pick up the language because it's going to provide an immersive experience for you through their program. Speech recognition gives you a trainer for your accent. Convenient, right? You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Incredible value. Lifetime membership has all languages for any and all trips or language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stone's offers for 50% off. That's a steal, y'all. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Living Corporate listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at com backslash today, today. John, welcome to the show, man. How you doing?
1: Hey, hey, thanks for having me, Zach. Uh, I'm well, man, in the moment, uh, in this very moment, I am well. So thank you. You know, um, it's it's interesting because...
0: Living Corporate has been around since 2018. Um, We exist to center and amplify black and brown folks at work. And we talk to all types of folks. Like, you know what I'm saying? We've talked to all manner of executives, activists, elected official, public servant, authors, educators, civil servants, blah, 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 influencers. Uh, It's interesting, though, because we don't always have a lot of frank conversations about the experience of black men in corporate America with other black men. Like I could probably count them on like one hand and we've had almost a thousand shows. And so, Uh, you know, I guess I'd love to understand more about like your experience in the corporate space and really like what led you to write um, your book, uh, plantation theory, the black professional struggle between freedom and security. Like we can get to the book, but I really want to understand like the background and like what was the influence and your, your experience to even like say, you know what?
1: I got I got a documents. I got to write this down. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a long and winding uh, journey to get there. But uh, I mean, my experience in corporate was um, born out of trying to achieve what my father had achieved in success in corporate. Right? Mm. So uh, it was kind of programmed uh, you know, go to college, uh, get a degree, get a good job, work 30 years, retire, and, you know, and go off into the sunset. Um, going into corporate, however, I didn't have the conversations ahead of time, which honestly, uh, I, I had later in my career um, with my father about what I would experience, right? Uh, what, what was the... Um, the landscape and what were some of the psychological, emotional, uh, you know, triggers or traumas that I would experience as a black man in corporate. And so I had to uh, walk that path, uh, you know, on my own. And so, you know, being in corporate, you recognize, I think almost immediately that this space is uh, different than what you would think it was or what you were taught it would be. Uh, meaning how you're received how you're perceived um, how you have to navigate whose egos you have to tiptoe around whose fragility and comfortability you have to maintain awareness of at all times and those experiences over time build up I think a tremendous amount of um resilience but at the same time um it's exhausting it's draining you know um I mean, and then you factor in that we are, uh, by epigenetic coding, programs for excellence, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't know how to operate in the mediocrity. And so that that battery, and I came from an HBCU, Lincoln University, you know, that battery is putting your back around excellence just from the first day you step foot on hollow grounds, right? So we're we're coming into these spaces thinking that we have to shine, excel, exceed, um, operate to the highest levels, and then we will be commensurately rewarded, uh, paid, elevated, and so forth, uh, only to find out that is there's a whole other game that we were never made privy to. So those are the backdrops to, to the book uh, itself.
0: You know, so much of that, <laughs> So much mm-hmm. that you said is just it resonates with me because you and I are in the same the same demographic, right? Um, mm. In a couple different ways. But I think one thing you said around just part of navigating corporate America as a as a black professional. And this is not to um, say that black men have it harder than black women or that black men are not the most. Straight presenting black men are not the most privileged group within the black cohort um, in the working space because because we are, and not but yeah. and that doesn't change the fact that there are challenges in showing up as a black man in the working in the workplace right and and so much you said the work you said like comfortability and and um and fragility and so something I've been I've been realizing is that I used to think up until like truly up until like maybe like a year ago six months Mm -hmm. ago even john is okay yeah okay okay, yep racism is real yes and white supremacy is definitely real i wouldn't living corporate wouldn't exist if i didn't think those things were true and Mm. and though if you're generating revenue if you're if you're if you're delivering quantitative impact you will have some level of Support, protection, or whatever—they can't really touch you if you're supporting them. And that's—that's that's not true, right? Your black success yes. in the corporate space is not really driven by. It's going to sound really pessimistic, but it's, I, you, you, I'd love to get your reaction. Black success yeah. in, in the corporate space is not really driven by your 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 quantitative results. It's driven by how many how much white folks are comfortable around you.
1: Bing. Message. <laughs> right now, you nailed that one. No, I, it's, it's interesting. You say that I, I just did a um, uh, two workshops uh, for a very large financial institution this last week. And the, the, the talk was called The Cost of the Climb. And one of the questions I pose in that workshop is, do you still believe that your value is directly connected to your output? And this this concept of us being, uh, us, us perceiving our value to be the, the outputs of our, of our work or our labor is four or 500 five hundred years in the making, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when you, when you dig into the history of it, which, I, which I, I, I pride myself on doing, is connecting those dots between history and our modern day lived experience. You have to first start at why we were brought to this country in the first place. And that was to work harder than any human being has ever worked. So yes, your value was directly tied to your to your labor outputs. Well, that gets passed down generation after generation after generation after generation, and then here we are today, thinking that when we get in these spaces, that when we exceed every metric, we you know implement uh, strategies that reduce cost and increase top and bottom line revenue, and all these things. That somehow that will be uh, the, 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 uh, the measure, the bellwether of our successes. When honestly, performance is about 10% of success in corporate America. When you look at those who are actually successful, right? Then you, you like 30% is image and brand perception and 70% is exposure and relationship. And relationship is dependent on who you have access to and who deems you valuable enough for whatever positioning uh there uh that person who's tapping you is trying to um you know to achieve for their benefit um then that then so goes your opportunity to gain access
0: and you know it's just interesting like like you just you presume and there's something about like again like we'll get into your book cuz I want to talk a little bit about like um I want to talk a little bit more about the title, but like, you know, we've had, we've had other guests on like Dr. Caitlin Rosenthal, um, who wrote the book accounting for slavery. And the point of us having her on was I really wanted to talk about like the, the historicity of these organizational models and how they tie back to chattel slavery. Um, Even like Uh some of the delegation, you know, the ways that um, black folks most times I've seen in my career is like, black folks have the most power over other black folks, right? They're not necessarily, <laughs> <laughs> they're not necessarily yep. like, they're not necessarily telling Bob and them over and accounting what to do, but they'll make sure to get the little black folks in line over here. Right. And, and, but there's something also about like, even in the plant like the the word plantation, like for me, I always think about like internalized, white supremacy. Even you think about like just back in the day like in running these plantations like there had to be some level of self-regulation that slaves had to have for plantations to even run. Because because we outnumbered everybody several times over.
1: Um 100%. 100%. And so, 100%. Yeah, I'm sorry, go
0: ahead. No, no, no. And so I will land the plane. It's just so much of this space and this work is like it's internalized, right? Like like you know, like man, what would it look like? I was just talking to um an, another guest, um like I don't know. I, it was, we'll see what when this um, this episode drops. But I was talking to somebody about like man, what would happen if like all the black folks just got together and said, you know what, we're all going to go to the th- one or two black psychiatrists that we know. We're all going to be yeah. written. We're all going to get formal diagnosis for PTSD. We're all going to go to our jobs, uh, medical. Space and we're all going to submit medical health leave, even if it's and we and we're going to take whatever we're granted. If we're granted two weeks, if we're granted a month, if we're granted three months, whatever. If all the black, right. if let's just say half the black folks in corporate America did that, like what would change? You know what I'm saying? Okay. But like people get scared, right? In terms of just like well, now we got to, you know, there, there's this level of we're we're not worthy. We have to kind of stay in line and we'll regulate each other. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but. I'm mean, clearly. You can, hopefully, you can tell I'm excited. Um, to have this conversation.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. And look, the 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 position on the plantation was that was called the driver. The driver was elevated from the uh from the enslaved population on the plantation to serve right underneath an overseer. Right. So mm-hmm. elevating their status. Be a manager in place of or in the stead of an overseer. Um, again, is not new. Uh, to your point, the self-regulation starts at the psychological level to to essentially incentivize incentivize uh, this this um, uh, division that enables uh, somebody who looks like you to not see you as themselves. Uh, and so you know, that is critical, right The divide and conquer didn't start just by going in and driving wedges between between uh you know different communities over on the continent. It started by by driving divisions within households right uh, mm. uh, mothers and 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 sons and daughters and cousins and and then you have this this notion of seeing yourself as different than those. Who look just like you? So this is this is deeper than you know strategies and DEI to to figure out. This is a you know a sixth century, sixth century psychological reprogramming that's required. And to your point, what if we did all get together? But then I always say, well, we can't even agree on you know who who the top best, who the best MCs are. Let alone oh, Let alone you know. <laughs> let alone who who's going to uh activate uh this uh this uh, movement towards resistance in some some small fashion, right? Yeah, so
2: Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me, bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with EstroControl from Happy Mammoth. EstroControl contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit, feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today.
0: I mean, we can't even agree. We, uh, you know, you, you kept it light. I'm going to go further. Like, we can't even agree as to who should be a part of our movement to be free, right? Like, you know, oh, like yeah. this idea. Right? So it's like, okay, well, nah, only... It's it hurts my heart, man. Sometimes like I'll read some of like I'll read like some great thought leadership on black liberation or just like the need for community. And then from those same people will um will then discount or dismiss the identity and experience of queer black black folks. And it's like, look, like we're all we're we're all coming from the same people. Like we all need each other to move forward. Historically, queer folks queer black folks are the reason so many of us even have freedom today like think about like all the folks involved in the civil rights movement to, like i mean we we need one another right so yeah i mean you're right and so much of that is like also part of like just like this internalized patriarchy white supremacy of like continuing to want to divide and kind of step on one another um i guess i'm curious though like like you you've been in this space for a while like and yeah. you've written your, it's a New York Times bestseller. Like what, could you point to a specific moment that you said, okay, I'm going to write this book. Like I'm going to write about like the struggle of navigating the corporate space. I'm going to write about my own identity and like the role it plays in this work. Like what, was there a lightning, excuse me, was there a lightning rod moment that you could point to?
1: There were several, there were several. And, and interestingly, I started writing the book uh, gosh, probably like 2018, um, and just pieces here and there, right? just like loose thoughts, uh, that I parked for a while. And, um, I, I'd started to work on this documentary, uh, that I was going to do within one of the organizations that I was at, um, and it was called Switched. And Switched was, uh, essentially about not just code switching, but also, you know, the realities and the daily lived experiences of black professionals within corporate spaces. And so after uh, getting the green light and then presenting like a five minute trailer of what it would, you know, what it could be uh, budget got pulled. So I was like, yeah, oh, wow, all right. Um, because it was that real in this company, this particular organization wasn't ready. Right. Mm. And, and, I, and that's, fair. that's fair. It's their money. Uh, they're not ready to take that honest look in the mirror. Cool. So the outline for the uh, documentary, each of the topics that would drive conversation for the people being interviewed, ended up becoming the chapter outline for plantation theory. And so the concept of plantation theory or even the title itself uh, and the black professional struggle between freedom and security came much later uh, post- george floyd's murder and the reason why you know it all came together was after you know in the in the in the early weeks after uh, his killing you know all of the open dialogue or open form conversations and courageous conversations that were happening not only within the company i was at but also colleagues that i would talk to and you know you're hearing a similar theme and regardless of generation uh and interestingly Specific to generation, I would hear older black professionals um, say that they had never seen anything like this, where they had the ability to voice their lived experiences to the highest-ranking people in the organization, and they were willingly being sought out to share these experiences. And so I was like, "Wow, that's that's amazing!" That after you know, in in, in this case, uh, you know, fifty-six years after the Civil Rights Act of sixty-four that this is just, this is the first time that people are experiencing this ability to have that level of open dialogue. And so these struggles, but then also what I would hear is people having so much talent, so much passion, energy, and 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 expertise and sauce that they bring to these organizations, knowing that they aren't being utilized to their full potential, in fact, being suppressed, but being deathly afraid of stepping away from these positions or these companies to start their own. And that lands them in the struggle between freedom and security. Right. And so it all came together. Now, plantation theory, the statement uh, that stops a lot of people in their tracks when they're looking at the cover is based on the fact that after uh, the Emancipation Act of 65, 1865, um, you had four and a half million newly free black folks in this country with no safety nets, right? No place to live, no no viable means of uh, supporting themselves, no health care, no jobs, no savings, right? None of that. Mm-hmm. And so within the first year, you had over a million and a half die, right? Due to starvation, neglect, and disease. You had a few that, you know, a few hundred thousand that migrated east, west, north, and and abroad, but the vast majority of folks went back to plantations, now working as sharecroppers, right, or tenant farmers, and so forth, which was the uh, the evolved version of slavery without calling it slavery. And so that that con- that concept for me hit hard because I'm like, damn, even even being released by law uh, or legislatively didn't secure this idea of what freedom was because it didn't. We didn't have a model for it. We didn't know what it was to be fully free, right? We'd see what we were denied, but we didn't know what the experience was. And so we went back to what we knew, that which was secure and provided uh, uh, at least a means of sustaining ourselves. So that is what I connect dots between is that moment in history to where we are today and still not being um, uh, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually empowered enough to leave the plantation. Because of these very real um, obligations that we have financially, you know,
0: there's so much there around, man. Like the fear that we have, and like that fear is fa- like that fear is founded, right? Like it's 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 founded sure. in reality, right? Of like, you know, look, the data shows that Black folks are they're hot. They have a higher unemployment rate when it comes to layoffs, as we're seeing it right now. Now, we're never mm-hmm. going to see the data out. We're not going to see the data outright off top, but you can look. You can use your eyes. And if you're a part if you know anything about these organizations on the inside, you'll see that black and brown folks are disproportionately impacted by these layoffs in tech, right? Like, do you know like so Absolutely. right, so like we're going to we're the first ones, we're the last ones in, the first ones out um in terms of some of these opportunities. Uh again, like mm-hmm. our our time to find a new role is much longer than our white counterparts. Um, We're we're more often put on pips and things of that nature. Um, Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's almost like we're always on a tightrope. We're like, we're trying to like walk on a bubble.
1: Mm, That's real. That's very real. And again, not by accident, right? These are, these are things that uh, when you look at the, the the business model has not changed, right? The, the, the um, capitalist model for, business is purely high productivity and profitability at low cost overhead right so when you look at it from purely cold calculated business decisions they're looking at balance sheets now who's the first to go well who's historically been expendable and these decisions aren't uh, aren't even you know hard to calculate right and so you look at uh, value driven um roles versus labor repeatable repetitive process, um, and what and what they deem more valuable. Uh, and again, we don't have the relationships a lot of times to land us somewhere else before you know, the writing's on the wall because we think it's about our performance. So all of these things are tied, and it's it's um, and we end up the victims of the cycle, and, oh, by the way, we're competing. Very much like 1866, competing with foreign labor sources, right? immigration policy has always capped the amount of black folks that come into the country. Right? And it also uh, enabled other low cost sources of labor from around the world to come to this country to replace what was once quote unquote free labor. No accident today who runs IT divisions. For the most part, who are the who are the most represented, let's say, uh, you know, who who are coming into who are in the STEM fields and coming in from out of the country to populate those like these things are all connected.
0: You know, like there's some there's so much to say, even about like this tech space. Right. And like this boom, like when as the as the tech space was booming and there was all these opportunities and like opportunities to come in and, and be a coder and things of that nature. And like, I'm never going to poo poo black folks getting into STEM and coding. My question always was, okay, yeah. like wh- when it comes to these roles, like how, exp- like, what are we actually doing? Are we just like running tasks like in, in a tech environment or are we like generating value?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause like, those are two different roles, right? Like if, if what we're doing, Very is if, if what we're doing is the equivalent of like, you know laying bricks or mopping floors or then yeah like when it comes to cutting folks we're going to get cut and as you think about like um as automation continues Mm -hmm. those roles are going to be the first things that are gone so what does it look like Mm -hmm. and again i'm not against teaching getting us in these spaces but like what does it look like for us to get above the lowest common like the lowest denominator um, in the in yeah. this industry right and so we're seeing it now i'm just looking anecdotally when you look at these layoffs mm-hmm. and stuff like a lot of us are being impacted and it's like oh well because oh, those those roles are expendable or they found a script that can do that or they found uh they found some new piece of tech that can do that and do it faster with less errors whatever the case is and so like you know sure it's so like you know we could probably talk ad nauseum about the realities of like our, our, our experience, how oppression um, has set us up and continues to uh, defraud and defund us. I'm curious as to like, as you look at like leadership, um, executive leadership cultures today, let's just say between now and 2030, like what points of accountability do you place on them? And what do you think, what does it look like to create, um, an environment, a workplace environment that is truly equitable. And like, let me, let me ask, I'll, I'll ask another question on top of that and make it even more compact, make it even more jumbled is okay. <laughs> there's this fear that a lot of white folks have that like, if we do, if we push too hard, or we keep on going down this path of equity at work. I'm my, I'm going to end up being displaced. I'm going to lose my mm. seat. I'm going to lose my slice mm. of the pie. Um, my response to all that is, yeah, you will. Uh, but again, I'm just curious. Like, what does it look like to hold executive organizations accountable, and what does it look like to like rebalance and redistribute power so that so that historically oppressed folks are, you know, they're getting what they need.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You threw a lot out there. Um. So, so here, here's the the short answer, and I'll unpack it. There is no historical reference for the most privileged, powerful, and highly status people of any civilization in the known world that have ever given up privilege, power, or status willingly. It's never happened. Hmm. We are kidding ourselves to think that DEI somehow is going to achieve what has never been achieved in history. And that's asking the most privileged powerful and highly status people in these organizations to give those things up. Mm. What I suggest, uh, an even deeper point that you brought up was the fear, uh, which I I actually center, right? So I don't believe in white supremacy. It's, it's a myth. It's a non, it, it doesn't exist. What I do believe in is white insecurity, mm. which drives the behavior of what we've seen and the constructs they've built and so this goes again historically back to uh the underpinnings of european society uh like pre-civilized societies and you're talking about food insecurity land insecurity power insecurity religious insecurity um you know uh, all of these things um, even you know um uh, what's the word uh, genetic insecurity right And then you fast forward and they see, you know, come into contact with uh, these black folks from a continent that's so resource rich, they don't have to import anything. And that clash of have versus have not, abundance versus lack, uh, mixed with those who were insecure gaining knowledge of Chinese gunpowder technology and the ability to kill more effectively and efficiently at a distance. So now what you end up having is this insecure group of people with power and technology that can kill in mass. And therefore they then mistake themselves as superior. So if we start with that as the premise, then you can see the construct they build to insulate their insecurities, make themselves dominant, hoard resources, um, establish education that indoctrinates others to believe they are dominant. That's all based on insecurity. The people who have the most are the the most afraid to lose it, right? In that construct. So that is our backdrop. Now you fast forward to this question of, you know, should we be training and educating people to get into these spaces? And I say, um, why do we continue to try to make white spaces safe instead of focusing on making black spaces? Right. Mm -hmm. And that that is a mindset shift that we have yet to get back to since pre-integration. And so now I'm like, yes, train and educate in these things. But before we rush to go off and give all of that expertise and perspective and, you know, uh, labor to somebody else's endeavor, why aren't we thinking, how do we build our own first? And that's a question that we still have yet to answer. Now you're seeing more entrepreneurs, sure. But then you run into funding and, you know, VC cap tables being open to us and all these things. Okay, cool. But this is where together comes back. So this idea of community, which I hear tossed around a lot, and I look at community in the sense of, uh, of how Dr. Claude Anderson defines it. Uh, First and foremost, having your own turf, but then secondly, having a code of conduct, ethics, values, morals, world beliefs and ideals that bind us together and obligate us communally. We don't have those things. So until those things happen, then the economic uh, base that's built off community is going to be fleeting at best. Right. Regardless of how educated, trained, well-trained we are. Uh, and how successful some of us become, if it doesn't matriculate back to this communal obligation and benefit, then we're still we're still playing behind the eight ball of every other culture who has recognized that they're on the same team.
0: Well, and I think first, and I think the challenge. I mean, the challenge, John, what you're talking about is that like, and I've said this before, is like a lot of us we really don't want to be free. Like we want to be white, right? Like we don't, we don't. <laughs>
1: Well, how do you define free first? That's, that's the biggest question. A thousand percent. If you ask ten, what is freedom? Mm, you know, nine times out of 10, they defer to financial freedom. And that's one aspect of it in this construct. But, you know, we're not free to do a lot of things we think we are. Kyrie found that out quick, fast.
0: This podcast, Living Corporate, it's brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with the audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place on your terms. Let me tell you something. Y'all might not know this, but Living Corporate, we started our whole journey on Squarespace. My website, ZacharyNunn.com. It's on Squarespace. I can't tell you how much I appreciate its fluid engine, the ability to create world class templates and design. It's very intuitive, incredible. We have custom merch through our Squarespace. We have an incredible asset library so I can always mix it up, switch and swap. It's super dope. And the fact that you can host all types of content video, audio, all types of media you can put all in your Squarespace. I can't recommend it enough. If you want to learn more, about squarespace check out squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch go to squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain again that's squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain quick fast and that's the thing and i think that's the piece too is like it's like you know, that changed, right? I was reading, um, I was reading uh, Bell Hooks uh, about love. Like, mm-hmm. I've been coming, I've been reading it, coming back to reading, it, coming back to sure. it. Sure. But she talks about like, she talks about like, even like just the history of, of like the civil rights movement and like how black folks really define freedom and how like love kind of pip, like continue to step away and how, and then she quoted Cornell West and, her, and his analysis about how, you know, we started pivoting away from really like, Political and like communal power, and started really replacing everything with like it, it was like well, business money, money is the way that money, economic economic freedom is the freest freedom. It's like the biggest thing, and it's like, I mean, I don't like like to your point, it's kind of like I sh- I try to get that too. It's like, well, I mean, we see plenty of like wealthy black people make a mistake or do something and be held at a much more extreme. Point of accountability than their white counterparts, or say the wrong thing yeah. and be wrong now, to be clear, be wrong and then see, like, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly everything like stop, you know what I'm saying, in a way that we don't see from like the Mel Gibsons of the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, my I think, or the Brett Farbs of the world, and so, like, I, I just think that, um, like, you're 100% right, right? Like, yeah. th- we don't have to be wealthy to be free. And we don't have to. But like this idea of like, again, like I say, when I say like we want to be white is like we see the white man. We see white men, straight white men and then straight white women at the top of the privilege pyramid. And our idea, our idea is not to necessarily dismantle anything. We just want to switch spots with them. We want them to be where we're at. We want to be
1: where they're at. And it's like, that's not that's that's just not it, John. Right. That should not be the goal. Right. But but it's funny what you what you said is spot on, bro. It's like um, the the switch to economic empowerment uh, around the time of civil rights uh, was because we had community already. Right. By force. Mm. uh, By legislation. So that was absolutely correct at that time for that operating system. Mm. Well, they said, all right, I'm gonna go ahead and upgrade your operating system to be integrated which they knew right at no cost to them at a governmental level would dismantle black community and self-sufficiency right so now I'm going to invite you into mine so you spend every dollar with in, in my institutions or my uh, establishments and that then breeds this opportunity for you to separate yourself from yourself by means of socioeconomics and that's exactly what happened so it became i instead of we And so, but we never, we never flipped the switch off of economic empowerment because we finally had access, Well, we lost community. So now economic empowerment doesn't have the same impact because to your point, when a few of us make it, how easily can it be stripped, right? Right. And who's going to support them? Nobody. They're an individual rather than a collective. So if we had communal obligation and those values and principles that bound us together, if one rose... You would see many more rise behind, or and or you would see uh, those uh, those financial wins matriculate to vertically integrated businesses that support the community, right? And that community then expands.
0: There's something also like like to that end, right? Like it's so interesting how our our view of community now is so capitalistic. <laughs> Right, so like oh hey, let's yep. like let's build this community, and then I'm gonna sell stuff to y'all, y'all gonna buy stuff for me, as opposed to <laughs> like, hey, let's build this community that's like actually collective let's organize and leverage our collective power to go achieve something together, right I think about like, yep. um man, I think about just there's so many businesses out there right now where we like it's this idea like, hey, we all gonna come we're gonna do we're gonna build but like wall Street, but like and like this, these narratives around Black Wall Street, but they 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 don't really matriculate John past like again, let's sell to each other. It's not it's never like a hey, let's build something that we can then license to these multi-billion trillion dollar or companies. And let like it's 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 all it's B2C, B2C, B2C. And like, I don't know, man. Sure. John, like I'm just not a big like I'm just not a big believer of that. Like I don't I don't know if I unless it's like food, which even then I'm kind of like, you probably should be giving your food away. But like, let's just say if it's food or like something that's like, I don't yeah. know. I just don't know if I believe in like making and eating off of black people, like eating off of historically marginalized people because these corporations have so much money that you should be able to have some type of strategy where you're, you're driving and you're, you're selling and getting money from these, you're extracting from these organizations. I mean, like, Right. Do, you, do you have a right. point of view on that? Because, like, we're seeing that more and more, right? Where it's like, hey, let me let me sell to. Like, it's a lot of like, kind of yeah. like we're hustling each other. Like, am I am I
1: tripping on that? Not at all, not at all. I mean, but again, uh, where do I where do I go with this? There's a couple things. One, that is only replicating the very construct that got us where we are today, right? The cap- if we're gonna use capitalism to now build community well, you have to take all that comes with that and capitalism's built on a disconnect from humanity first. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to make cold, calculated, inhumane decisions for the benefit of profit and the survival of the business. So if that's the way we're going to try and achieve community and unity, we've already failed. We have to figure out first and foremost that we're not going to out uh, capitalism those who who are already in position uh, to own the space. Uh, that's a losing proposition from the get go. Um, secondly, you know I, I love the concept of Black Wall Street, and you know you ask again ten black folks if they would love to see a resurgence of this, of a Black Wall Street, and everybody's like hell yeah, right immediately. But then I ask, okay, well, what were some of the founding principles or binding principles that made their community strong in the first place? Mm, I don't know. Well, that's the problem because we look at Black Wall Street's success as the outcome but don't know the underpinnings of what made that community so strong in the first place. And yes, okay, they we know that um uh, geographically where they were there was it was rich in oil resources, right? And in, in mineral resources. So that's one thing, but it starts with having a turf. We don't have one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and the concept of Black Wall Street doesn't just start with us selling goods to each other. You have to live somewhere first—food, <laughs> shelter, water. Same, right? That's the beginning of basis of life. So, so okay, cool. If we had that, then what are the obligations, requirements, uh, and um, and commitments that we would make of those who want to live in said community? Right? This resurgence of a new Black community like a uh, like a Tulsa. Well, do we have those? I I even call it like, okay, what if we had a homeowners association agreement that you'd have to sign? And here are the things within the HOA that you have to abide by to be a member of this community. You know, I've I've tried to have that conversation many a times and we, it's a stop and start. We usually can't get very far in that conversation because again, what would, what what are we trying to do that doesn't just emulate what we've already seen? Yeah, man. And so this, Say that cross-cultural connection between those who still live in, uh, you know, communally obligated communities abroad and in the diaspora, we need that help. And they need our help from certain instances as well. So there's a lot that we that we need to have conversations about. And it doesn't start with buying Black and, you know, economic empowerment. It starts with, first and foremost, why do I look at you and not trust you? Right. Because you can't transact with people you don't trust. Right. Right, Like, we have to start, first and foremost, a healthy black psychology and developing that.
0: Sheesh! John, man, yeah, look, man. I told you off mic we was going to have to do a part two. Look. Um, oh, this, yeah. This is a dope conversation, man. Like, before I let you go, man, like, where can people find you? Um, Where can people buy the yep. book? Like, we'll put all the links in the show notes, but I'm going to give you a second to plug everything you need to plug.
1: Yeah, yeah no, I appreciate it, bro. It's, uh, uh I'm, I'm, Always honored to be even asked to to join. Uh, first and foremost, but living corporate is uh, a luminary space. So thank you for having me. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the best way to connect with me. Um, but you know, um, PlantationTheory.com is the best place to support the book directly. I mean, I know it's convenient and easy to give your money to to Mr. Bezos and and and, and company, but. Um, if you'd like to get a signed copy of your book uh, and support the author directly, plantationtheory.com is the best way to do so. I love it. I love
0: it. John, it, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. We can't wait to have you back. Uh, look, man, enjoy yourself. I, you know, I'm You know, 80 percent of black folks are lactose intolerant. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you are, too. But uh, look, man, pray and enjoy yourself. Go crazy.
1: just because you gave me the permission (laughs) sir i'm gonna do that i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna pay for it on friday morning yes (laughs) i'll talk to you soon brother all right cheers man thank you peace and we're back listen I, i
0: again John Graham Jr., links in the show notes. Make sure you connect with him. Learn more about him. Follow him on all things social. And just make sure you stay connected. Listen, I cannot stress enough, right, that like. <laughs> hmm. I'm pausing because I'm trying to figure out if I want to say this, but I forgot that I own live in corporate. So I'm going to say what I want. The reality is, is that a lot of black folks and I said this in the conversation with John, but I'm going to say it again. It bears repeating. A lot of black folks really they don't see freedom as a goal or rather the way that they define freedom. is just fundamentally different than the way that I define freedom. And frankly, like I've had like my own challenges with black people in other roles in my career, because I would reach out to them thinking that we had the same definition of liberation, but we didn't. A lot of black folks don't really want to be free. Not really like they don't. They don't want to be. Unencumbered by. um, The white gaze. Um, They don't want to necessarily be unshackled from. Western concepts of behavior or quote unquote professionalism or manner or cadence of speech. They don't necessarily care about seeing other people that look like them in similar spaces. They don't care about redistributing power. They just want to be white. Freedom for them is their approximation to whiteness. How much can they put on whiteness? How much can they sit at a table and talk the same talk that their white masters talk? That for a lot of black people in corporate America is freedom. But that's not freedom to me. A lot of black folks have been conditioned and encouraged to simply pursue the seats that white people sit in so that they can behave like white people historically have behaved in corporate America. And that's just not it for me. So the whole idea around like all skin folk, not kin folk, like that's where it comes from for me. I have, it's there. There are a very select number of people that I've seen in those seats who are truly here to live as they climb. And that's honestly, if you ever go back and you listen to my interview with Marty Rogers, like that's why I hold him in such high regard and high esteem. He's one of the rarest ones I've ever seen. The same thing goes from Matamba Austin. But they're rare. They're rare. Carolyn Johnson. I'm not just saying that because I work in diversity. Inc. Like those people are rare. They're rare. I'm gonna challenge you that when you're sitting in front of that line and you're excited because you're next in line to get whatever it is you're about to go get that when you look behind you in that line and you see other people that look like you in that line but in the back in the very end That you see yourself in those people. That's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to you. This has been Zach with Living Corporate. I love y'all. Take care. Peace.
1: Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at podcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook,
2: Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.